Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello there and welcome to the podcast. Coming up, MLA Stephen Fletcher on presumed consent, something that's coming to Nova Scotia. He would like to see it here as well. Chris Adams, our poli-sci guy at St. Paul's College at the U of M on LavScam. The latest from him now that JWR and Jane Philpott are out of the Liberal caucus. And Darren Hyde is the chamber president in Winkler. That community is number two on a new list of very entrepreneurial communities in Canada. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now the podcast. I think it's pretty remarkable. Obviously, I can understand firsthand the impact of organ donation in my own life. And I think that anything that can enable more people to get the gift that I've gotten and still give full power and full consent to people making their own decisions, what's done with their organs, can be a really, really good thing. That is Krista Miller. She was on the start this morning with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb talking about Nova Scotia bringing in presumed consent. She is a Winnipeg heart transplant recipient. More on her story later on. But joining us on the phone now, Winnipeg MLA, former MP, former cabinet minister, Steve, uh, Stephen Fletcher. Good afternoon, Stephen. Good afternoon. You've been an advocate of presumed consent for a long time. Why is this so important? Well, it's important because we need to increase the number of organs available for transplant. The uh, system that we have now uh, as we all know, people just don't sign the cards. Presumed consent would uh, assume that someone is an organ donor unless they sign to be out of the donation uh, system. So it will increase the number of organ donors and therefore save uh, countless lives. It looks like Nova Scotia is going to be the first jurisdiction in North America to do this. You'd be in unless you opt out or unless you're under the age of 19. Back in 2017, when the Tory caucus voted down your private member's bill on presumed consent, what was the argument? Why did it not go through? Well, not only did they vote it down, I had a resolution for a debate, and they wouldn't even speak in the debate in the legislature. Hmm. There seems to be, uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. One is uh, MLA, some MLAs felt it was against their religious uh, beliefs, <laughs> apparently not knowing what their religious beliefs are or the beliefs of others, because there is no religious background in the anyone with a religious background that would be opposed to it. And all the major religions are supportive of organ donation. So I, I, I never understood that argument. Um, some people, you know, say, well, the, you know, I have control over my body and I don't want people, and, you know, and that's fine. And that would be an opt-out situation. But people also have to recognize the awkward situation is when you die, you don't have control of your body. You can cremate it, you can bury it in a government-assigned area, and that is it. So, the individual autonomy thing, which is very important because there's lots of reasons why people wouldn't want their organs donated. But on the flip side, the public good is so substantial. You know, what is the worst thing that can happen if your organ is donated? The worst thing that happens is someone's life is saved. 
So that's a pretty compelling argument for presumed consent. I, I think, I don't know, the government, uh, unless uh, it's just, it's all personal, it seems, uh, in, the, in the legislature, nothing about, not based on practical public policy. I, I don't know what to say about it. Well, and you would always have the option of opting out, right? You're in, but you can opt out. You can opt out, exactly. And if you feel that strongly about it, opt out. You know, um, and, you know, I had a, uh, you know, I was in an accident when I was 23. Right. Almost died. Now, I didn't. But if I did, I I wasn't responsible enough to sign my organ card. My family was a wreck. (laughs) It would have been a waste of uh, a healthy, young body that could have saved a lot of lives. So, presumed consent, I think, is just a public good. And if you weigh the public good versus any of the downsides, the public good wins every time. Humanity wins. So I wanted to bring this forward. I drafted a substantial piece of legislation, and as you correctly researched, I'm impressed, in 2017, and then a resolution later on that fall uh, the government uh, refused to talk about it. They did make a commitment to create a standing committee chaired by the member from Brandon West on organ donation. So that would have been great. A standing committee is is very good. But then they backed out of that as well. So then you're like, well, what's the point? And then they just reinforced the status quo, which is not good enough. Everyone agrees it's not good enough. And even um, in light of the uh, terrible uh, Humboldt car crash, which there was a spike in organ donations across the country, it's still an infinitesimal amount compared to what could be available. And again, it comes back to common good. What is more Canadian than helping people you don't know? Do you think maybe if this becomes law in Nova Scotia, it may have a a snowball effect? Other jurisdictions, other provinces, states, countries will bring in presumed consent. Do you think that might happen if this becomes Uh, the law in Nova Scotia? Absolutely. It's happened in in Europe. Nova Scotia is going to be the first one, and it'll be just like a... Uh, dominoes coming, uh, going across the country. Uh, but I had that opportunity. It could be the second domino to fall, but the government has no interest in even discussing uh, the issue of organ donation, presumed consent, which is really too bad. But, you know, maybe as Nova Scotia is doing it, public awareness will increase, yeah. and uh, Manitobans will demand it, as, I, as I've been trying to to uh, make it an issue. That was my thought, too. If nothing else, we're talking about it, and that is a good thing, Stephen. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time and, and interest in the very important issue. Stephen Fletcher uh, joining us here this afternoon. All right, so yesterday, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott tossed from the Liberal caucus by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Chris Adams, political scientist at St. Paul's College at the University of Manitoba, joins us in just a moment. First of all, let's get us in the mood for this conversation. A clip of Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief, Mercedes Stevens, 
on what happens now. The big question is, will she still run? Uh, because she had said she was going to run as a liberal. And the liberals not only kicked her out of caucus, they said she can't run as a liberal. And she'd been approved by the local riding association. So are they going to have to fight the local riding association on that? Keep in mind, at the end of the day, the prime minister can always decide who he wants to run, but it can damage you if you force a candidate into an area uh, where that riding association doesn't want them. If Jody Wilson-Raybould decides to run as an independent, she could really give the Liberals a run for their money in that riding. She is enormously popular, especially after this. Um, and, and it's a riding that, because of the way the boundaries have been redrawn, um, is not a clear or easy win for the Liberals. So do they run a star candidate against her? Does she end up deciding she does not want to run as an independent? These are all questions we don't know the answer to yet, but the Liberals could potentially lose a seat over this decision. Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief, Mercedes Stevenson. And uh, Chris Adams on the phone now. Good afternoon, Chris. Hi, Hal. Thanks for having me on your show again. Well, I know you were just on with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham on the news when all this happened yesterday. We're going to have to get you a swipe card around here. <laughs> uh, to add to my first one. Where do we go from here with this now? Well, you know, I, I think to use the term cauterized, I, I think they've had to cut off, you know, this, this problem. I think it was quite smart by the federal liberals to make it appear that the caucus was the entity that was throwing out the two members of parliament rather than Justin Trudeau. Uh, it looked better in the sense that Justin Trudeau did not look like what some people called a bully or things like that, the other terms used before. So um, I, I think it was a wise move by the, by the federal liberals. They've got a, an election in about five months, I would say. So, so they had to stop it now. Now, uh, those two members of parliament were pretty well behaving like members of the opposition, and you can't have somebody inside your party uh, behaving that way. Yeah, this was a tough decision either way, right? That's right. But, you know, once once the uh, member of parliament and uh, uh, a member of your government starts standing in front of microphones and st- saying things, you know, the, the, the optics of of the the uh, the taped telephone call with the former clerk of the of the of the um, uh, PCO to talk about a taped recording that kind of crossed the line. But I, I think they had crossed the line before that that came out. The sense of having somebody questioning the integrity that was Jane Philpott and questioning the integrity of your leader publicly saying that and and um, and then some of the things said by Jody Wilson Raybould. These are things that you would expect um, and. Andrew Scheer to be talking about, not not one of your own members. And what do Justin Trudeau and the Liberals do now to shore up the Indigenous vote, females, women, young people? These are areas where they seem to be struggling now since Lavscam. Yeah, well, uh, one of the things is the Conservative Party of Canada does have problems in attracting women voters. And, and um, uh, what Harper did when he was leader, how he, he attracted women voters was by having uh, women candidates who are strong individuals. And we saw that in Winnipeg, uh, a number of strong members of parliament who are women would counteract, counteract the, the uh, effect of the leader on women voters. And I think, so back to your question, Hal, is, is that the federal liberals... I think will will 
want to try to portray the Conservatives as not being friendly to women voters. And uh, and we do know that the NDP under Jagmeet Singh are having the NDP is having some problems in the polls right now. So I, I think that Liberals have to start finding a way to criticize the other parties rather than having the focus on themselves. And if voters feel that the federal Liberals are closer to them, warts and all, if they feel they're closer to them than, than the other two main parties, then, then they'll vote Liberal. You don't have to um, 100% agree with a leader and a party to, to support, to, to vote your, cast your vote in that direction. And I, I think that's what the Liberals are hoping for now that their, you know, their image has been somewhat tarnished over the past month or so. David Aiken, one of our political guys at Global, said on the start this morning, maybe the Green Party might benefit here. He threw out a number of 10 seats, maybe. Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the thing is that when you when you aren't in an election, voters sometimes are more more willing to say in a poll that, that they would support a kind of a smaller party like that. But once you start getting down to an election day, people start making hard choices as to who they want to see or not see as their prime minister. Um, so parties like the Green Party um, often have, have higher support between elections. But, um, you know, David Aiken, and I've been on his show before, but I... You know, I, I, his political judgment is pretty good, and and I would say that the Greens uh, may really benefit in British Columbia. They've had their the Liberal regional minister Jody Wilson-Raybould. We all know is having you know is not in the Liberal caucus anymore. So the Liberal brand is damaged in British Columbia, and British Columbia tends to be um, oriented to environmental politics. Um, that's where Elizabeth May ha- has her seat. So it could be that you know that there'll be some seats more than just one. I'm going over to the Greens in in the B.C. area. And one quick final question. Do you think Judy Wilson-Raybould runs as an independent? Uh, You know, I don't know. I I, I was looking at the demographic profile of of her riding, and it's not – I don't recall seeing a very large Indigenous population in that riding – uh, but, you know, she, she's someone who's attracted a lot of support across all different groups in, in the area. So she might run. You know, you, we might also see her as a national figure in the uh, Assembly of First Nations, you know, running for the leadership. And I think she would have a real shot at being uh, the national president of the AFN. So um, I think that's probably one area, that one, one, one idea that's being pushed on her right now. Chris, thank you. Thanks, Hal. Have a great rest of the afternoon. Bye-bye. Chris Adams, political scientist at the University of Manitoba at St. Paul's College. One of the things that we have tried to do is to make sure that we have a business-friendly environment. And when we take a look at the numbers that CFIB put out today, and we see the number of young entrepreneurs, I think we're on a path of the great future. That is Martin Harder, Winkler's mayor. He was on with Jeff Courier here on CJOB earlier. Winkler, number two on the list in Canada for entrepreneurship from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Number two for Winkler. Whitehorse, the only other community higher than Winkler when it comes to entrepreneurship. Darren Hyde is the president of the Winkler Chamber of Commerce. And he joins us on the phone now. Good afternoon, Darren. Good afternoon, Hal. Nice hey, to be here. Yeah, nice to be here. Th- thank you for doing this. I, I really appreciate your time. So what is it about Winkler? What is your uh, uh, sense as to why Winkler, when it comes to entrepreneurship, is number two on this CFIB list? 
you know, it's certainly an honor being recognized uh, through this CFIB list. Um, we know exciting things are happening in Winkler. Um, sometimes you, when you just look internally, um, you don't know how, how much you've done or how good things are until you see this kind of external review or uh, uh, survey done. So uh, to be recognized as number two within Canada, that's certainly an, a great honor. No um, kidding. You know, a lot of great things are happening in the city of Winkler. Um, you know, we've got a great city council that's supportive of our local business, keeping business taxes low, reducing red tape, um, just having that motto of Winkler is open for business. Um, you know, we, we certainly strive hard to identify the needs of the community, investing in infrastructure, um, building our new Meridian Exhibition Centre that will leverage uh, some opportunities for, for us as a, a community. Um, you know, we've got a business community that supports one another. Um, you know, they really see the benefit in and the entire business community being successful. And we just really have some great innovative entrepreneurs that just continually seek to find ways to adapt to changes in the market and, uh, and just be leading. Was there a turning point, Darren? Can you point to something, you know, two years ago or five years ago, a turning point where it just changed in Winkler? Oh, <clears throat> I don't know if anything quite happened that quickly. Winkler has always had a more of an innovative uh, entrepreneurship spirit. Um, just through immigration programs, building a strong education system, um, being supportive of uh, city council as well, uh, just seeing the long-term um, future needs of investment and making those decisions, those continuous decisions to provide a business-friendly environment, as well as a place to live, to live, work, and play. Um, a lot of those decisions have been made for a long time, and um, here you kind of see the fruits of the, those decisions. I can't remember. I'm going to play the clip later on of your mayor down there in Winkler, Martin Harder, another clip from him later. Uh, but he said it wasn't that long ago when uh, Winkler might have been on the list of communities on the verge of dying. And, and now you're number two on this list across Canada. Right. Um, yep. It, it's certainly, certainly an honor. Um, just the, that success just keeps building on on uh, further business success and um, those entrepreneurs and, and innovative spirit, um, it really helps drive uh, you know fellow businesses to to keep reaching higher levels of success. So uh, a lot of good investments have been made in the community, and uh, yeah, you start seeing that seeing those things, uh, the results of that here. Anything in the pipeline you can tell us about? Any exciting stuff coming up down there, or is it just kind of day to day good business and and doing the best you can? Well, I mean, one thing is that uh, our new uh, Meridian Exhibition Center that we're constructing will be great for business trade shows and host, hosting larger events within our business community. Otherwise, uh, continual investment uh, to identify needs and uh, and certainly meet those needs of our, our uh, of our business community. You know, whether that be through immigration um, investments in education, those types of things. Um, those great uh, decisions are being made uh, and investments in our community. So the future certainly is bright for the city of Winkler. Well, Darren, uh, thanks for doing this. Congratulations and keep it up. All right. Thank you. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.